Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. For those of you who don't know Steve, I think I first met Steve uh, maybe when I was like 17 or 18 years old, um, and I think you were playing guitar like on a worship band somewhere, and uh, that was incredibly cool. But sort of from afar, he's he's been uh, he lives up uh, near Snell's Beach and um, is part of the Maharingi Vineyard community, and so I probably run into him like once every three or four years. And so from afar, I've just sort of seen some of the cool things that he's been up to, and. Um, so it just felt like like some of the things he was doing, some of the things that he was about would be really cool to bring him in and, and talk about a little bit. So um, enough from me. Why don't uh, you just tell us a little bit uh, about yourself? Introduce yourself, tell us about your family, and tell us a little bit about what you do. Cool. Hey, well, great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Really cool. Um, I enjoyed worship tonight. Thank you, team. Very cool. Excellent. Thanks, yeah. Um, yeah, so as uh, Calvin said, of um, at Maharangi Vineyard, we've been up there for 25 years. Um, my wife Jo's at the back. We've got four children, so we've got a 21-year-old um, and 17-year-old daughters and a 15-year-old and 8-year-old son. So the 8-year-old son, that's when I started going grey. He's a bit of a handful, but uh, it's, it was great. And... Um, so I come from a Christian family. My dad was a pastor at Teotu Bible Chapel for a number of years, and he was at Bible College. Um, he was the principal there. And, um, you know, I'd become a Christian when I was 16. And, uh, and I got in construction. I was there for 20 years. But I had a real passion for the ocean. And it really confused me when I became a Christian because it was a very wholehearted conversion that, you know, I wasn't chasing after God. And then he grabbed hold of me and... I thought, man, I'm going to follow you wholeheartedly for the rest of my days. And I remember saying it to my dad a few times, that I, um, this whole love for the ocean that I had since I was a tiny little kid, it, when I became a Christian, it really confused me quite a lot. I said to him, I know I'm meant to love God with everything, um, but I've got this passion for the ocean. I didn't understand it. And in a way, I was kind of running away from it. I remember being at a youth camp when I was a teenager, and um, you know, I had one of my good buddies go along with me and I want to see him get saved, you know, and we went along and it, there was cranking surf and I just spent the whole time surfing. I didn't even hang out with my mate and I got really convicted on the last night of camp. And I'm giving up surfing forever and I ran out and I snapped the fins off my board. I'm giving it up for Jesus, you know, it's kind of like, oh, and uh, I oh, gave up for about six months. Sorry, I know that's not a word for anybody here. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the kind of conflict I had. And when I shifted up to Snell's Beach, um, like I was very heavily into spearfishing at this stage and, and uh, you know, everything to do with the ocean. And I remember shifting up to Snell's Beach, which is a diver's paradise. And I remember looking at it, seeing, going, God, the irony of what I said to God. I literally said that. I said, I said God, you've got no idea what I'm like. You know, shifting up here, I'm going to forget all about you because I'm surrounded by the stuff that I love so much, you know. And... Um, about 23 years ago or so, I was involved with a locally made TV show at um, Snell's Beach called, um, it was Family Television Network, and we did a show called Ocean File, and there was about five of us that were presenters for the show. It was a zero-budget show, and they, they got some locals to present it, and I did the diving side. My friend did the surfing, and there was fishing, and there was sailing, and, and something that happened to me during that show, it put a spark in me. It showed me the power of visual storytelling, 
And uh, ever since that moment, I thought, man, one day I want to have my own TV show. And I didn't have a clue how I was going to do it. Um, and, um, you know, we went overseas about 12 years ago for a year um, in California. And uh, I worked voluntary at a church there. And when we come back, you know, I'd had this dream burning away in, in me for ages. And I said to my wife, um, I said, do you mind if I take a risk and chase my dream? And um, she was crazy enough to say yes. And uh, at that stage, we had a bit of money in the bank, and um, she didn't realise how much I was going to be spending, um, but brought a really nice boat and brought a camera and had no idea of what, how we are going to do it. It was going to be Steve's spearfishing show, and my friends were going to follow my adventures. And, um, you know, we started doing adventures around Northland, and I was bleeding money, didn't have a clue what we were doing. And I quickly discovered that my friends weren't very good cameramen. Like, I never wanted to be an underwater cameraman. That was the last thing I wanted to do. Um, but out of desperation, I got into it. And I remember something that happened when I started filming with a camera for the first time. It was probably a six-month period. Like, I thought I knew a lot about the ocean because I'd spent thousands of hours, you know, spearfishing and, and surfing and everything else. And I knew a lot about specific species that I was chasing, spearfishing. I got quite good at that. And all of a sudden, I was seen from a very different perspective. I was looking down this viewfinder, and I was trying to shoot stuff as beautifully as I could. And I remember getting home and showing the kids and just seeing my kids were captivated by this footage. And um, then something started happening to me when I was filming that, um, you know, this Kiwi bloke that jumped in the water with marlin and orca and whales and big tuna and all that kind of stuff. You're meant to be a pretty tough bloke. And all of a sudden I found myself getting overwhelmed emotionally underwater, that I was seeing stuff that was so beautiful, and I'd spend thousands of hours looking at some of the stuff, but all of a sudden I'm looking at it through the narrow lens of a camera. And I was taken back by its beauty, and I remember saying to my wife a couple of times that it's like, I've got no idea what's going on when I'm under there, you know? It's like I'm getting overwhelmed by, I, I, I couldn't articulate what was going on. And after about six months, um, I remember reading from Eric Liddell, um, from Chariots of Fire, you know, if anybody remembers that. And um, one of his most famous statements is, I feel the pleasure of God when I run fast. Mm. And it's like, oh my goodness. That's exactly what's happening to me. It's like I felt the pleasure of God when I'm filming the beauty of creation. And for the first time in my life, you know, from that moment of saying to God, you've got no idea what I'm like. I'm going to forget about you. And all of a sudden, I had this revelation. It's like, man, this is the thing that I've been running away from is the very thing that I've been made for, you know? And it gave me a lot of confidence from that moment yeah. to, um, to so really you, pursue filming. So you went from like a conflict to a convergence, right? That, Was it, like, sorry? You went from a conflict to a convergence. Like oh, this, totally. You know, like it's just everything began, begins to meet. Yep. So um, it's really cool. So I just want to show you a few photos. And I've been, um, I've been really, really lucky. Like I'm an accidental cameraman. I had no idea that some of the animals that I was filming were um, pretty significant internationally. They're just kind of the things that I've been jumping in the water with for years. And I had no idea, like filming orca, like I had no idea what a significant animal they were internationally. And probably for about a five or six year period that, you know, if you saw any orca documentaries um, on TV, the chances are most of the underwater footage was mine. So, you know, because I was very, very lucky. So um, anybody seen Blackfish? You know, so it's about the anti-captivity thing. Um, they use, you know, there's one minute of underwater footage. That's not historic. That's, um, that's my footage. But a lot of other documentaries as well. So this is for a Shark Week show. Um, it was called Zombie Sharks. And the whole idea was that, of the show was, um, you know, the orca have figured out 
that if they turn sharks upside down or raise upside down in a hurry, they can put them in a state of tonic immobility, um, put them into a zombie-like state, and uh, then it, you know they're incapacitated and they can rip them apart. You know, so I've done lots of filming of orca ripping things apart, and as a cameraman, there's nothing that makes your heart sing more than you know an apex predator ripping something apart in front of the camera. If they're the golden moments, that's what you live for. It's like it's pretty gory, but it's awesome. <laughs> um, I've been really lucky to film things like humpback whales. I'm going back to, um, uh, to Rarotonga in September to film humpback whales for a documentary. This is a calf, um, and it's only you know, a week or so old, and literally over a couple-week period, you can see that animal growing up. And um, being in the water with an animal that large, you know, the adult, you know, they grow about 16 metres long, and uh, their pectoral fin, you know, about five metres uh, long, like five metres from me to your lie, you know. And to have this animal, you know, down at 20 metres, and like I remember having my watch on and I'm doing a countdown. Every time at 21 minutes, they'd be just sitting down there at 21 minutes, all of a sudden they'd stir and they'd come up to the surface for a breath and I'd get this time and I'd turn on my camera at 20 minutes, it's like turn it on, all of a sudden it'd swim straight up at you. And, you know, as close as what you are, this animal that's 16 metres long and at the last second turning, and with this huge pectoral fin, they're so spatially aware that, you know, it's either just missing the front of my camera or just going over top or just underneath. And like, oh, I'm like, what the heck? You know, don't hit me, you know? Like this thing's got these huge tubercles on the front that would just smash it to pieces if they hit you. And there was one moment with this particular, well, not this particular animal, one of the other animals with it, that it actually made a little bit of a mistake. I could tell when it was coming towards me and it was like shifting its pectoral fin around here, then moving the other way, I go, it's making up its mind, what it's gonna do at the last second of turn and I'm rolling down its back and, and it kind of just, you know, the tail hit my camera on the way past and it's like, man, it put the fear of those big animals into me. It was only a tiny little nudge, but it was like that thing would just kill you. Just that you. moment put the fear I don't in. normally tell these stories when my wife's around. <laughs> and <I'll>, uh, <laughs> um, but the highlight for me has been um, with Blue Planet 2. Did anybody see Blue Planet 2? Yeah, it's really, really cool. So I was involved with the uh, filming the false killer whale uh, segment, which is the only story that was done in New Zealand. And... Um, Talk about a pinch myself moment. Um, there's two moments in my life that I can remember that I looked at a particular person. There was one when I was a kid, um, and there's another one with Blue Planet One when I saw that about 12 years ago. And I remember watching Blue Planet One, and my favourite episode of Blue Planet One was Open Ocean because I've spent a lot of time chasing big animals out in the open ocean. And um, I, love, I love watching the behind the scenes. And I remember watching the behind the scenes of Open Ocean and the story as it goes was this cameraman was flying out to sea in a microlite with a um, pilot, the two of them on this open microlite. He had a camera on his knee, his wetsuit on, his mask on. They're going out, they're looking for a blue whale and he lands in front of it. You know, he jumps in the water, he gets the golden shot, the blue whale goes past. And I was like, that guy's got the coolest job in the world. You know, that is so cool. No, I didn't want that job. I thought, that guy's the luckiest guy on the planet, you know. And, and three years ago, I had a very, very surreal moment when I'm sitting on the back of my boat with my camera on my knee and I've got false killer whales at the back of the boat coming towards us, I'm about to get in, and I had the director of Blue Planet One Open Ocean on my boat and they're filming the behind the scenes on me. And I was just like, I just had this, how the hang does this stuff happen? You know, I'm not that clever. You know, there's way more clever people than I am and it's kind of like, I don't know, there's a few moments that I look back and go, you know, it just feels like the fingers of God is all over it. You know, I just think this is what I've been made for. And um, so I feel really, really lucky. So anyway, they're absolutely magnificent animals. And this is me in my happy place. Like seriously, 
Oh my goodness, just insane. So, um, you know, film me these false killer whales. This is up um, just on the inside of the Pornite Islands off Tutakaka and heading up, this is probably up near Mumifongata, if you know the coastline whale, heading up towards the Bay of Islands. And what we've got here is we've probably got, oh wait, you know, there's more than this, but there's probably a couple hundred bottlenose dolphins and then in amongst them, the black ones are false killer whales. And we spent three years, I think I had something like 47 or 48 days that I was either in call or on the water. Um, and we, I'm guessing we might have had something like 30 days of spotter planes to try to find these things. And, um, and it took us three summers. And so uh, very, very cool. And that was a four minute story. Um, <laughs> and I was just flying back from Plough the other day and I had a really, really cool moment as I'm standing at the bathroom waiting, you know, in the line there. And I looked about five or six rows in front of me and there's a guy watching Blue Planet One and he's watching the sequence that I helped film. It was like, I wanted to go tap him on the shot. I was like, bro, you know. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. But underwater, they're absolutely magnificent. And uh, these whales, that no one had ever done a story on them before. And so, you know, my friend's been studying these animals for 17 years, and I said to him, you know what? You're getting the opportunity to educate not only Kiwis about what this animal is, that we don't know anything about, but you're educating the world, you know? And this is a, this is a series that's gone out, out to over a billion people. And uh, the, open, uh, the episode that we're on actually just won the BAFTA for Best Photography. So me with about another 10 or 12 guys and girls um, have won a BAFTA between us, which is pretty darn cool. It's pretty incredible to like, uh, I don't know, see that sort of footage, listen to you talk about it. It's incredible to see, uh, I don't know, the joy and the passion you carry for it. Um, I think like when you talk about it, you sort of speak to the beauty and the goodness of, of what you see around you. You know, like it's like this, it's this. Uh, it's more than just emotional. It's like you're, you're connected in a really powerful way. Uh, I'm really interested to, to hear you kind of, uh, I don't know, talk to us about in terms of doing this job and what it's shaped in you about your understanding of our planet and what you, and what you see as important for us to know and to learn about what's happening in the world around us because I'm sure this is informing quite a bit of, of some of the work you're doing now. Yeah, well, just for me, you know, I think we're all on a journey. Like for me turning up and seeing all these, you know, cups out there, the reusable cups and that, I was like, man, you guys are quite a lot longer, you know, further down the track than a lot of people are with this stuff. It's, it's fantastic. And, um, yeah, just in the short time that I've been diving, you know, I'm 48, I've been, you know, spending time in the ocean probably the last almost 40 years, and I've seen huge changes just in, in my short lifetime, you know. And um, they're saying that crayfish population in the Hauraki Gulf is um, functionally extinct, you know, which is not a good term if you, you want to <laughs> eat crayfish, you know, like places that I used to be able to go and get lots of crayfish, you struggle to get them now. And, um, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, for me, the oceans, this place is out of sight, out of mind. You know, that Kiwis love hanging out. Like for us, we go, to, we go to Bland Bay every summer and we love it. You know, we camp right on the beach, we have my boat parked down in front of us and we have the coolest time. And there's just something about going to the beach, you know, for some of us it could be smelling the salt air, you're hearing the sound of the beach or just, you know, having it, you know, just being in salt water, you know, or, or seeing stuff in the water or surfing or whatever. It's, it's a magical place, but it really is a, um, a place that's out of sight, out of mind. You know, living in Auckland, if um, we woke up one morning and we look up at the uh, Waitakere Ranges and all of a sudden we saw that, you know, hectares had been bowled down. You know, we'd be in an uproar. 
And yet there's stuff that happens in our ocean because it's, even as a cameraman and with limited visibility, it's hard to see the effect um, of what's happening out there. And uh, just recently, like I've just been in Palau for two weeks, but just before that I was at Little Barrier. And one of my favourite places, they, um, there's a really good short doco online and they call it you know, New Zealand's Ark. It's the most intact ecosystem in New Zealand. It's uh, phenomenal. Hasn't had predators there for a number of years. It's um, New Zealand's first national park. And, um, but anyway, I was swimming around what is the most pristine um, land environment in New Zealand. It's on our doorstep right here. But yet I was, when I was swimming in the water, um, there was just bare rock everywhere and lots of kinners, a lot of, lot of urchins. And for some people that wouldn't seem very bad, but what used to be there used to be forests. And because we're taking out a lot of the predators like crayfish and snapper and stuff like that, these, um, and the, the things that eat the urchins, the urchins are taken over and eaten the cow. And there's a lot of diversity that's gone out. Um, and it's just like thousands and thousands of acres of the Northland coastlines like that. But because it's underneath the surface of this beautiful glistening ocean that we connect with, it's very hard to relate to. And I never got onto this stuff as a greenie, you know. Like, I'm a hard-out spear fisherman. Like, you know, some of the stuff that I've done feels like a past life. Like, I've speared a couple of giant bluefin tuna and a marlin and, and all that kind of stuff. That's the stuff I used to do. And, like, for me, I'm filming it now. And, like, I'd be absolutely slaughtered online if I talked about that kind of stuff and it's not that I want to do that spearing anymore but that's the background I come from but when I started doing this filming and like I was getting to hang out with a lot of really really cool leading scientists in New Zealand and just seeing the amazing work and then hearing about the impacts that are having in the ocean and and for me it's um it's been quite an awakening you know that um it's like the oceans are in, in dire need of help. And so for me, I, I've never seen myself as a greenie, and I say to my mates, if you, if you see me hugging any trees, I want you to slap me in the face and whack me a few times. I don't want to be known like that kind of guy, but I just um, for me, I think we're all on a journey as far as environmental awareness is concerned. You know, like if you look at from a scale of zero to 10, number 10 being someone that's got a composting toilet and plants trees if they use their car once because they want to offset the carbon footprint and you know, others that have no awareness at all. And we're all on this journey. And for me, um, you know, the last few years in particular has been quite a massive journey. And part of that's been through Young Ocean Explorers with what we're doing. Well, do you want to give us a little bit of an idea of what Young Ocean Explorers is? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Good Has anybody heard of Young Ocean Explorers before? <laughs> yeah. Cool. This is great. I love it. Um, I'm just going to skip past that and we'll come back there. So Young Ocean Explorers, this is something that happened. Uh, my 17-year-old daughter, when she was 12, she wanted to do a story about um, turtles and plastic. And um, the day that – this is for a project for school – and um, the day that she asked me about this, she didn't realise that I'd been at filming at the Ottoman Islands this particular day, which are beautiful islands just off Tyra on um, Coromandel. And she didn't realise that I'd been swimming in this stunning bay and filming a fur seal on these beautiful kelp forests and lots of fish. But as I'm swimming back towards the boat, I found this current line with a whole lot of kelp that had been smashed off from a storm about a week or so before. And I saw all this kelp on the surface gathered on a line um, and I thought, oh, there's going to be some cool critters to film. So I'm swimming underneath it, and all of a sudden I saw plastic, plastic, plastic. It's the first time in my life I'd really taken notice of plastic in the ocean, and I started filming it. And I got home, and then my daughter didn't know I'd done this. 
And then she goes, Dad, I want to do a project about turtles and plastic. It's like, what the heck? It's like, you know, <laughs> I've been filming for a while. And I just filmed that today. And um, she wanted to interview a guy called Dan Goodall, New Zealand's turtle expert, and find out about the impact of plastics um, on turtles. And so um, we did that. She, her um, action plan was to show this short video to a, um, her then 10-year-old brother's class. And when she showed it, I had a light bulb moment. You know, I went along as a dad just to support my daughter with no expectations at all. And all of a sudden I saw 30 kids and all their eyes just went as they saw this amazing underwater uh, footage of turtles and hearing about plastic and stuff like that. And I had a light bulb moment. It's like, oh my goodness, this idea I've been looking for all the time has been sitting underneath my roof and I had no idea how into the ocean my daughter was, even though she's been surrounded by it all her life. And um, so I got this idea that I, over a couple week period, I didn't tell her what it was, um, and I come up with the idea of Young Ocean Explorers, and I said to her, would you be keen, uh, two weeks later, would you be keen to interview any other experts? And her eyes lit up and goes, yeah, and I said, what would you do? And she goes, oh, I'd do Maui's dolphins, I'd do stingrays, I'd do orcas, I'd, what the heck, I had no idea my daughter was under the stuff, you know? And so I approached what now? And um, kids show and said, you know, we'd make 10 episodes for you where Riley goes on adventures into my world that we look for the biggest, scariest and most fascinating marine animals. And finally they said yes, and we did stories on orca, turtle, sharks, uh, whales, kelp, crayfish. Um, and we did 20 episodes for them. And uh, it's, been, it's been quite the blast. Like, I've just taken my daughter to Palau. She's now 17. She got to swim with manta rays for the first time the other day. She was, like, absolutely buzzing out. She's scuba diving now. And, um, you know, eagle rays. This is why we get orca coming into the, the coast around here is, you know, uh, New Zealand's orca researcher, Dr. Ingrid Visser, calls these orca chocolate. They love them so much. They come in here, and that's why orca strand more than any other nation in the world is they... They get a little bit starry-eyed with these things eh, and chase them into quite dangerous places. Um, yeah, so um, something that happened after we, um, with Young Ocean Explorers, we had some kids in Veron Road Primary School um, saw a st story that we did on turtles and plastic. We released a um, turtle at the Poor Nights with Kelly Tarleton's. Well, we were part of the day. We didn't release it. And um, on this particular day, with the story, it's a four and a half minute story that we did. Um, Riley was involved with releasing this turtle and I got footage of her swimming with this beautiful turtle at the Poor Nights. If you're ever gonna go diving anywhere in New Zealand, you have to dive at the Poor Nights. It has to be on the bucket list of every Kiwi, it's magnificent. But anyway, as we're swimming back towards the boat after seeing all these huge schools of fish and beautiful kelp forests and everything else, swimming back again, I found this current line with all this kelp that had been smashed off from a storm about a week before. And I knew straight away what we're going to find from my time at the Alderman Islands. And we went along and sure enough, plastic, plastic, plastic. Riley picked it up. And we went back, swam back to the back of the boat with this plastic in her hand and um, showed it to this turtle expert. And Dan Godoy, amongst other things, he said, wouldn't it be great if every Kiwi picked up at least one piece of plastic a day? That would be over four million pieces that doesn't get into the ocean. And it was a kind of a throwaway line in a four and a half minute episode and I didn't think about the impact of it. But we had these two kids in Veron Road Primary School that heard this one statement that we weren't even doing it as an environmental video. It was just like a throw out line. And they come up with this idea of one plus a day that they started a campaign in their school that they got every student in their school to pick up at least one piece of plastic a day. And then they were trying to export into other schools and kindergartens and stuff like that. And I heard about this and I thought, that is so cool. And so we come up, uh, well, we didn't come up with it. I thought, well, I want to do that, you know. So we, um, 
we created a video um, and we just released it probably about three months ago and this is the video about one plus a day. Have you ever thought about how much plastic you touch in a single day? Like grocery bags, food containers, drink bottles and packaging. Plastic is everywhere, including our oceans. Scientists tell us that of the 300 million tonnes of plastic made each year, 8 million tonnes are ending up in our oceans. That's around one rubbish truck of plastic every minute. If we don't do something, by 2050, there'll be more plastic than fish in the sea. We think that every school kid can make a difference. If every child picked up at least one piece of plastic a day, that would be around 750,000 pieces. Because after all, this is my school. This is my park. This is my street. This is my ocean. And this is our community. Let's love our ocean and pick up at least one piece of plastic a day. So we released that. Um, we've actually got an interactive site um, now that we released through New Zealand On Air funding in October. Young Ocean Explorers, we did 20 episodes for What Now? And um, then I had Greenstone TV approach me and say, love what you do, um, want to collaborate with you. And so they went in for some funding for us, the Interactive Fund uh, On Air, and we won that. And um, our target audience is kids, and it's like, well, kids aren't actually, you know, watching TV anymore. Um, and, you know, like having an eight-year-old, he's on Minecraft all the time or YouTube, and I knew that um, doesn't matter how cool we made the site, that he'll be going back to his default YouTube, and it's kind of, so we're not going to be targeting kids, it's like we decided to target teachers. So we created something that, um, there's about five hours of content on here, videos, polls, and quizzes, and we designed it in such a way for primary and intermediate teachers that they felt they had tools in their belt that they could teach about marine science in the marine world. And for me, uh, the underwater story of New Zealand is our great untold story. And I see that as part of my mission is that I want to enhance the way that the world sees New Zealand. Um, that bringing about, you know, about 93% of New Zealand is ocean and about 80% of our natives live there. And we're great at celebrating the land. And I want to bring these amazing stories from the ocean into the Kiwi narrative and into our story. And so no better way than getting a whole generation of kids that grow up on it. So that's part of what we're doing. Um, Joe, can you just scroll down a little bit? That first quiz, just press on that. I'm going to need your help, and I'm going to just share some of the motivation behind this in a sec, so just press play. Fur seals are good swimmers, but how long can they hold their breath for? Okay, so this is for schools. We've got four possible answers here, and this is where I need your help. We've got one minute, two minutes, seven minutes, and ten minutes. This is an iconic Kiwi native species, so we all know about these animals, of course, don't we? So who thinks one minute? Who thinks two minutes? Who thinks seven minutes? Don't be shy, okay? I would have got the wrong answer like just probably about eight months ago. Who thinks 10 minutes? Okay, let's just press on 10 minutes because that is the correct answer. You've got to get the correct answer to carry on. Press play, yeah. You're doing really well if you can hold your breath for up to 45 seconds, but first seals can hold their breath for over 11 minutes. How crazy is that? Fur seals can stay underwater a lot longer than you because they can slow their heartbeat and store more oxygen in their muscles. New Zealand fur seals are champion divers. They can hold their breaths longer and dive deeper than any other type of fur seal. 
New Zealand fur seals can dive to a depth of over 230 metres. That's like the length of two soccer fields combined. There's heaps more to find out about New Zealand fur seals, so keep clicking. Yeah, hey, so that's um, so there's quizzes and polls and heaps of videos. Everything's like one minute to two minutes long, real short and interactive. And um, since we launched, just to give you a little bit of background, for me growing up, and when I became a Christian, I think a lot of people thought I was going to be a pastor. And I always had this huge feeling of calling on my life. I always thought I was going to be have, you know, um, speaking to a large audience. And it wasn't an ego thing. It was just something that I, like nothing that's happened to me has surprised me. Even though Blue Planet was a very surreal moment, it didn't surprise me, you know. And um, I hope I didn't sound cocky saying that. Like, it's not at all. Like it's, so cocky. Uh, it's just like God, I, I just feel that this is what God has for me, you know. And it's really funny because like we went overseas and, um, I worked as, as an intern for a friend over there for a year and I was testing the waters because thinking, you know, my dad was a pastor and, and it, I didn't want to be a pastor because of my dad. You know, I'm not that kind of person. Like, um, I make my own decisions, but a lot of people thought I was going to be and I kind of thought I was as well. And I was testing the waters and it went really, really well over there. But when we come back and getting into this, it's kind of like, man, this, like, Young Ocean Explorers for me is just like the coolest niche. You know, like, I love... I love dealing with kids. I love sharing stories about the ocean. And it's like, um, and I've got a way bigger church than what I would have had if I was a pastor, you know. Like for our site, um, since launching in October, it's a bad time of the year to launch an educational project because teachers are kind of zoning out and ready for the beach by October. <laughs> and then they're on holiday for a few months. And, um, you know, we've got uh, over 10% of the demographic of our teachers signed up to our site already. It's all free to use. So we've got, um, how many is it? How many people have signed up, Joe? It's about 1,200 teachers signed up so far. Um, we're up to almost 500,000 views of, you know, videos, polls and quizzes. And, oh. and it's not like a YouTube video that you can get millions of views. Like, people have to click a few times to get there. So to get those kind of views is pretty significant. And I just feel like the, it's, the ball's just getting rolling. And I just feel that we've got a, a voice not only to New Zealand but to the world, you know. Um, I just want to share a scripture from Genesis 1. And this is quite a big revelation for me. Um, and, uh, like, I come from a construction background. Let me see. And it is 20. Man, you've got way better eyes than I have, mate. This is what happens when you get a little bit older. Um, okay, it says in uh, Genesis uh, 1.20, And God said, Let the waters swarm with... Um, with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves uh, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them, um, you know, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. Um, and I think sometimes when you read a scripture like this and you, and you read it lots of times, sometimes it's easy to brisk over it and not see it with a new lens. And as someone that's from construction, like, you know, the one thing I loved, one of the things I loved about building houses, that it's a relatively creative thing and you can see what you've actually made at the end of the day. It's, it's a, the coolest thing, you know, that you can sit back and go, 
oh yeah, I made that, you know, and it's like when you do a beautiful house or you do a beautiful deck and then you get invited around for dinner and you're sitting there, it's like, I made that, that is so cool, you know, and when I picture, you know, God, the Father, you know, the Son and the Holy Spirit making this stuff and we say, and they said it was good, it's kind of like, it sounds pretty ho-hum, but the way I look at it is like God just absolutely stoked and they high-five each other, woo yeah, man, that's awesome, you know, and uh, then he goes on to say, further down, and he says, um, and let us make uh, men and women in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every um, creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him, male um, and female, he created them. Um, and just in, you know, it's kind of for me, when I read, read that, when I was just visualising God, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit high-fiving each other with the magnificence of creation. And like, I still absolutely buzz out. You know, like some of the animals I've seen in the last two weeks in Palau, is just like, holy moly, I just don't want to get out of the water. It's just so magnificent. Um, but, but then it goes on um, that he creates us in his likeness and his image it's so like we, and he says, it's like he's saying, so we can have the ability to look after the stuff that he's stoked about, you know? And it's the very first thing that God says to humans in the Bible is that, you know, this stuff that I'm stoked about, I've made you in my image so you can look after it. And, you know, looking after the environment isn't normally, a, you know, something that I've historically seen in the church. I remember growing up in Teatitude Bible Chapel um, in the 80s and, um, you know, they used to have Sunday evenings that any question, you know, people could ask. It was a pretty secure leadership when it's like, mate, you can ask any question you want. No holds barred. It's pretty darn cool, you know, as a young Christian. I remember, you know, people asking all these really spiritual questions and it's like, yeah, yeah, really cool. And the elders are great. And then somebody just threw out a bit of a curly one and goes, and what about the whales? What does God think about the whales, you know? And uh, he was like a real legend in my mind, this guy. And you could almost hear a pin drop in the building. Like, no one said anything negative about it, but it's kind of like, ooh, that's not very spiritual, you know? It's kind of like, what are you thinking about the whales? And I look back, like, that moment in time has kind of sat with me for a long time. And I look back now and I go, man, that guy was so ahead of the times, you know, in the church that I was in. And it's... Um, you know, I just think that's part of what I'm called to. And I don't think I'm called to the church. I think I'm called to, you know, the community and, you know, for this audience of kids. There's 750,000 school kids in New Zealand. I think there's about 400,000 of them in our demographic. Um, 500,000, I think. So, um, you know, and there's a lot of kids around the world. And it's just, there was a guy in the 60s and 70s that had a huge impact about inspiring the world about the ocean, you know. And we want to do that with kids. You know, that was Jean-Michel Cousteau and... And uh, I actually, the first job I ever had was working for his son, um, Jean-Michel, which is really cool. So, And I think that's incredible. And I, I love that you point out that scripture in Genesis. You know, when it, when it talks about dominion, it's talking about uh, like being a, like it's like a kingship over things. Mm. And actually from a, from a biblical perspective, from the, the Hebrew perspective, that was very much to look after your people. And so when we're called to dominion, it's to, it's to actually to have dominion over the, the planet and over every living creature. It's actually to, to look after that. It's a, mm. We owe a duty of care. And, um, and I so love that, that um, I don't know, you discover something of God in the midst of that. Mm. Um, I think that's in incredible. Um, yeah, I think uh, 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 
What would be your encouragement to us, like, I, I guess on, on two fronts, what, what would be your encouragement to us in sort of our, our normal everyday, like, living as, living as people within this creation? And then what would also be your encouragement in regards to pursuing the things that God puts on, on your heart? Or, or, you know, discovering yeah, that, yeah, which, yeah. which you can... I think a couple of things. Up, yeah. I think, um, I think in taking time to enjoy nature is, is really important. You know, for me, I find even though I spend quite a bit of time on the water, sometimes just in a work setting, but for me, my happy place is still jumping in the water. So if I have time mm. off, I just want to go diving and filming. I just love it so much. But the pressure's not on me for filming for other people and I'm not thinking about other stuff. Um, but so I, for me, it's, I think it's great for my mental health, you know, to get out of nature and um, to enjoy that. And that's, sometimes you can just have, feel like the weight of the world's on your shoulders. Like this is how it works for me. And sometimes I felt down and just things are really, really tough and then I go for a surf or jump in for a dive or something. And you just forget about everything else, you know. And it, sometimes it gives a perspective on things and... And, uh, you know, sometimes that's a time I go and pray on that. But the journey that I'm on environmentally, like I'm, I'm near the beginning of this journey, you know, and it's, it's something that we're trying to nut out. I feel absolutely guilty in the last, you know, seven weeks. I've been on quite a few planes and the amount of plastic that I get given on planes. It's like, oh, my goodness. It's like we're, my, myself and my daughter just dying. You know, we're talking about plastics all the time in schools and the pan and everything's plastic on planes. It's just nuts. Um, but for me, I'm trying to make little changes in our life, you know, and I'm trying to live what I preach as well. Um, and so, you know, as far as the environmental thing is like, is don't take yourself too seriously. I think that's pretty important. You know, sometimes we make mistakes. Like, we still make mistakes when we go into cafes and ask for a smoothie and you think, oh, of course, they come in a plastic cup and, a, and a, with a straw and stuff like that, you know, and it's like... You know, it's just learning for me just to put things in place that I actually think through beforehand, you know, that we're trying to, you know, use less plastic than what we were. And another thing that I'm just chewing over for myself is, and something that we're encouraging kids, this whole one plus a day campaign, I'm absolutely convinced that if we all, you know, if we all did a little bit, we can, we can make a huge difference together. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about, I'm trying to break it down into my own little community. And, like, I live on Maharangi East, which is the most magnificent peninsula, you know, um, just absolutely beautiful. And I'm, the thing that's going through my mind at the moment is, like, I'm just thinking, wouldn't it be great if we could have a rubbish-free community that I know there's no rubbish from my community going into the ocean? And so I'm, that's what's just chewing around in my mind at the moment. And, um, you know, how are we going to do that? Um, so it's just, for me, it's just little steps. And I just think, for, um, the thing that made me want to pick up plastic, like, um, it's the very furthest thing from what I wanted to do growing up, you know, and, and as an adult, like, there's no way I wanted to go pick up other people's messes like those lazy punks, they can pick it up themselves, you know. But something happened that, um, that, that changed me was my four-year-old, like, he's now eight, um, he saw the story about turtles and plastic and showed me the power of children and it really validates what we're doing and, and I use it to encourage me with what we're doing so I think it's powerful influencing kids but um, after my four-year-old had seen the story about turtles and plastic and even though we would talked about wouldn't it be great if every Kiwi picked up one piece of plastic a day I wasn't doing this and the very next time we went back to our, down to our local skateboard park in Snails Beach, huge area my four-year-old goes, hey mum, dad, look and it's like, what? 
it's like, you know, I just took him down there. I wanted to see him going backwards and forwards on the ramp with his um, scooter. And he goes, look at all the plastic. And it's like, yeah. And he goes, we have to pick it all up for the turtles. It's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. You know, it's like, <laughs> and he made us pick up all this plastic. And then a week later, you know, it's like the little punk went and sat on the seat. Yeah, you missed some over there. You know, <laughs> he made us pick it all up. And the next week we went back again and exactly the same thing. And he made us pick it all up. And then, you know, within the week, well, I'm driving along and I'm at the traffic lights near Carter's in um, Auckworth there opposite Maharangi High School. And he goes, Dad, look at the plastic on the side of the road. You've got to stop and pick it up because of the turtles. I was like, oh, my goodness, I've created this monster. <laughs> and so he made me go out and pick it up. And all of a sudden something happened, you know, that um, we started going down to the beach to have a walk, meant to be romantic walks, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a second, he's something. You know, and we'd be picking up plastic and then we'd be taking down bags and picking up rubbish. And a four-year-old changed the way that I started thinking. And, and what that did to me, it's really weird because I didn't, you know, do these videos so I could do an environmental kind of thing. But because of my four-year-old, it really started making me think about it. And um, so we're picking up plastic and then all of a sudden it's, I'm starting to think about how we're using plastic and then I'm looking at all this junk that you buy for toys for kids from the warehouse that break down once and then it's like you know, we've got a disposable nation, man, like a Western world that you just throw it in the bin and go and get another $10 present. It just makes you think differently, you know? And so I'm just on a, at the very beginning of this journey. But if we can all do a little bit, we can all make a huge difference together. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.